Now, if you have a checkbook and you get a bank statement whose balance, let's say, doesn't necessarily agree with yours, you have a problem. Uh, there has to be a reconciliation. Um, the only way to get that reconciliation is to find out exactly where is the problem. You have to be able to identify uh, why the two numbers are not the same, and then you need to identify where the error is at. Now, when bank balances don't match, we just don't throw our hands up in the air and say, well, that's okay, it'll, it'll all work out. We don't do that, do we? You, you cannot do that. We work hard to find the error, and then we fix it. Jesus Christ is our fix to the error of this thing called sin. He came to reconcile us to God. And He lived 33 years to fulfill all righteousness and to bring us into balance with God and God's righteousness. He did this because none of us in this room could do it for ourselves. Not a one. Now the title for today's message is, Are You Ready for a Do-Over? How many of you in this room would say, I'm ready for a do-over? This thing that we call a do-over, it has every single thing to do with this word that we call reconciliation. Everything to do with reconciliation. To be reconciled with God is to have a do-over. Now, the students just got back from camp a week ago, and while we were at camp, we were reminded daily of this thing called reconciliation. This whole week, um, the students uh, or the kids in Vacation Bible School, they were all reminded of the importance of that do-over, of this thing that we call reconciliation. So to everyone else included, you're about to be reminded of the same thing, of the importance of reconciliation and what that specifically means when we see it laid out in the Scriptures. Now, because of the cross and because of the resurrection, God makes reconciliation possible. Amen? Amen. Now, our passage today is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. Let me read you what we're going to be getting into this morning. Paul was writing to the Corinthian believers, and he said this. He said, Therefore, from now on, we recognize... No man according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Now, when you hear that, you're like, what in the world does that mean? Here's what he is saying. We knew Jesus Christ in the flesh when he was a person. When he was flesh and bones, and we're flesh and bones, Paul is saying to those believers, we knew him during this time. But then he says, but now... We don't know him that way anymore. He's just not flesh and bones. He is way more than just a man. And that's, that's what he means, thus he is no longer. But he's telling everyone, listen, we all knew him a certain way, but now we know him in another way, don't we? That's what Paul is saying by that. 
He says this in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all new things have come. And then he says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And here's the best part. Not counting their trespasses against them. Isn't that good? God was in Jesus, reconciling the world, not counting our sins against us. And then he says, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we, we are his ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him, he's talking about God, and God made Jesus, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness in Him. Now, there are three truths today I want us to get out of this passage. Uh, this is a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. So, in your bulletin, the first point we're going to look at is Paul wants us to see the reality of what it means to have a new mind. A new mind. Paul wants all of us to have this new mind. You know, when you become a Christian, it literally changes every single thing about you. The way you think, the way you act, the, oh, the stuff that you do, the stuff you don't do. It changes everything. You cannot become a Christian and remain the same person that you have been your whole life. It's impossible. If you are the same person that you've always been, you might want to recheck that salvation experience that you claim to have because when Jesus comes in, you go out. Isn't that right? Amen? You're not the same way. You're a completely different person. Completely different. We are no longer content now According to the scriptures, we're no longer content with viewing people according to their outward lives, are we? The ordinary, worldly standards that we used to employ no longer do. <coughs> Why is this? Well, the reason for that is because everyone that we now meet is someone that Jesus died for. And all relationships have been changed. A person's outward circumstances no longer determine <coughs> our estimate of him. Now I want you to take a look at verse 16. In verse 16 it says, Therefore from now on we recognize no man according to the flesh. And I already told you a few minutes ago, well what does this mean exactly? This raises a very important question. Now, here's a question. I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but I want you to think about this for a second, just, just for fun, just for fun. Do you think, did Paul, did Paul ever meet, yeah, I will take that, thank you. I realized it when I got up here. 
didn't bring my water. And that baptismal water was looking pretty good. That's nasty, but it's, but it's true. Oh, oh, th- thank you, Bill. Do you think, did Paul ever see Jesus before he was converted? Never think about that, do you? Did Paul, was Paul ever out anywhere? Now remember, his name was Saul before he got saved. And when he got saved, Jesus changed his name too. When Saul was doing what he was doing, did he ever see Jesus? Did he ever hear from Jesus? Did he ever see Jesus do a miracle? I don't know. Did he ever see Jesus give a message, a a, a sermon, whatever, a, a talk? Did he ever see him do all the things that he did? I don't know. But that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Paul is talking about knowing Jesus in the flesh and now knowing him in a different way. See, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus changed every single thing about the person of who Jesus is. Um, For those that knew him, the disciples, they knew Jesus was the Messiah until he was killed. And when he was killed, the Bible says, all the disciples, except for John, they all went back to their old way of living. Why? Because what they thought of who Jesus was supposed to be, well, obviously we were wrong because he just died. And so they went back. They were living in the flesh because they had no faith. Why? Because they gave up on Jesus when he died. So they knew him according to their flesh. They had no faith. And they went back to their old way of living. For three years, for three years, they followed Christ as Messiah. And then they gave up. Why did they give up? Because their perception of who they thought he was, it ended when they crucified him on that cross. They knew of Jesus just like Paul knew of Jesus in their flesh. But it was only when Jesus rose from the dead that that image of who he really was impacted and changed their lives. So why did those who followed him so quickly give up on him when he died? It was because they had no faith. They followed what they saw with their eyes. Their minds convinced them to go this direction. Simply put, they had developed a mental picture of who Christ was supposed to be. Irregardless of what Jesus did, irregardless of the things that they saw Jesus do, they gave up. Why? Because they had a mental picture already in their head of who Jesus is and what he was supposed to be. I want to ask you this morning, who is Jesus to you? What is your mental, your mental picture right now? What is it of Jesus? Do you think about him? Do you never think about him? Do you think he's a good teacher? He was a good man? He's on the platform of every other religious leader of history? What is your mental 
picture this morning of Jesus. See, we can't blame the disciples for giving up because most of every single one, and when I say most, I'm being nice, we would have left too. We would have left too. Who could blame the disciples for leaving? After all, what kind of a Christ, and you'll see this up on the screen, what kind of a Messiah, what kind of a Christ chooses to hang out with the poor and the blameless? What kind of Christ chooses to uh, gather to himself a collection of ignorant nobodies, fishermen of all people, as he did with the disciples? What kind of Christ would befriend publicans and sinners? What kind of Christ would uh, show such utter indifference to rabbinical traditions and to the oral giving of the law? What kind of Christ would come out of Nazareth? It'd be like if the Messiah was around today and he came from Rendon. <laughs> what comes out of Rendon? And th that's what they said back then. Well, well, what good comes out of Nazareth? What kind of Christ would uh, uh, sweep aside all the rules and all the regulations that the religion of Judaism had devised to safeguard the keeping of the Sabbath? That was the most holiest thing to a Jew. And Jesus comes along and he blows it out of the water. What kind of a Christ would allow himself to be bullied, to be beaten and to be mocked and he never once gave a striking blow back what kind of christ would do that so who could blame the disciples c.s lewis and this is such a good quote i had made sure i put it in your bulletin take a look at it c.s lewis said this what you see and what you hear depends a great deal on where you are standing it also depends on what sort of person that you are boy isn't that good isn't that good what you see and what you hear it depends on where you're standing and it also depends on what kind of a person that you are what kind of a person are you what kind of a mental picture do you have about the person of Jesus Christ. See, everyone's mental picture had a different view of who the Messiah was supposed to be. Jesus just did not fit into their narrative of what they expected Him to be like. And praise God for that. They're tainted, they're cursed, they're sinful minds, they needed a transformation. And the same goes for us today what do you think about jesus what do you base your opinion on who jesus is what christ did do you get your thinking from the bible when you look at it when you read it when you study it do you get your thinking from popular opinion do you get your thinking from your friends? Maybe you get your thinking about what the Bible has to say about stuff from watching preachers. Don't do that. Don't do that. Get it from the Word. Maybe you get it from watching TV. But where do you go to to get your information that helps you to 
you know, have this mental picture of who Jesus is. Paul had something to say here about a new mind, a new way of thinking. And today, we are reminded that if we want to have a do-over in the way that we think, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the way that you have your minds renewed, it's by going to Jesus. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? But it's true. You go to Jesus for the renewing of that mind, and that mind will be renewed. Why? Because God wants you to know His Son. He wants you to know. You know, at the heart of God, His number one desire is for every single person to be with Him one day in heaven. That's His desire. That's His ultimate desire. He wants you to know Him. Why? Because... If it wasn't his number one, he would not have given up his only son to die a sinner's death on your behalf and on mine in order to get us there. God has a great desire and a great drive. And that desire and drive is that you would know him, but you need to have your minds renewed. We see that Paul has something else to say about um, the do-over. And that has to do with the purpose for the new man. We have a new mind, and God wants to give us a new man. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all new things have come. You cannot be the same person that you once used to be. And then it says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. The Bible says that when a person becomes a believer, he shares the new things that belong to Jesus. Now think about this. He he shares all the new things that belong to Jesus. They are given to you. They're They're given to me. That's what God gives us. He doesn't just give us the salvation. He gives us all the things that belongs to Jesus, and He imputes them to us. He changes us. You know that term, in Christ, was Paul's favorite term. He used that term, in Christ, in all of the Pauline epistles. Those are the letters of Paul that we read in the New Testament. Over 130 times you'll see this expression that Paul uses, in Christ. But you know what? Jesus is the one who used the term first. Jesus said in John 15, 5, Jesus said, He that abides in me and I in him shall bring forth much fruit. See, to be in Christ, it means much more than just being encircled by by Jesus, by being encircled by Christ. I want you to look at it this way, so that you can see what it means as a Christian for us to be in Christ. Because a person can step outside of a circle, all right? A person cannot step outside of a sphere, when Noah and his family stepped into the, went into the ark, they stepped into the ark, they were, in a way, ensphered 
inside the ark. They were separated by a godless, worldly uh, group of people outside of the ark. They were supplied with every single thing that they needed as long as they resided inside of the ark. And they were secured against the storms of judgment that overtook that outside world while they were in the ark. They went through the judgment themselves, but not one drop of water fell on them. It fell on the ark, but it didn't touch Noah and his family. What was meant for Noah and his family to be in the ark is the same expression to us when the Bible says you are in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. They're gone. See ya. Behold, all new things will come. There was a communist agitator, true story, who was addressing a large crowd in a city square, and he pointed at a beggar who was walking in rags, and obviously he was intoxicated. And this uh, communist individual pointed to him, and he screamed, Communism can put a new suit on that man. And someone had to have been a Christian because someone in that crowd shouted out loud, shouted back and said, Christ can put a new man in that suit. And that is true. When you give your life to Christ, the Bible says that he puts Jesus in you and that old you is done away. Now when God looks at you, he doesn't see you in your sin. He sees his son. And his son is holy. Because Jesus died with sin, but not with his. He didn't have no sin. He died with our sin. So Jesus replaces the life that you have with the life that he has. And that is the life that is pleasing to God. It is Christ in you. It's the hope of glory. Now this new man is one of regeneration. The making of a new creature. Um, when Christ, when we are in Christ, the very life that Jesus had is available to us. And I made sure this was in your bulletin too. I want you to think about this. This is really good. For Jesus, he not only gave his life for us, that was when he died on, this, on the cross, but he gave his life to us to us you're going through something and it's really 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 tough we have the promise that jesus has given us his life to help us get through it listen i don't know about y'all but i cannot help but think this weekly i'm in a hospital somewhere and you can't help and I said this, I think, the other night at VBS, but it's such a true statement. I can't help going by the rooms, and I don't look in, but every now and then you, you just find yourself looking, and you'll see someone, and they're in just pretty rough shape. And, you know, you look at that, and you think, how are they getting through that? And as tough as life can be at times to us, 
how do people get through those moments that don't know Jesus? That, to me, is the scariest thing of all. It's not so much what could happen, but how do you get through those kinds of moments and you're on your own? I want to know that Christ is there. I want to know that Christ is aware of what's going on. I want to know that Jesus is there and He's able to do whatever if, uh, if He feels like. On that note, I'll say this. Mike Kemper is in the hospital. He uh, has a tumor in his stomach. This coming week, they're going to take it out. So right now, you're on notice. Be praying for Mike Kemper. Obviously, Doyle Jones is uh, recovering from a triple bypass. We need to be praying for Doyle, too. And, uh, but uh, Mike Kemper is there. When they went in at the beginning of the week and they were doing this exploratory procedure to find out why is he bleeding in his stomach, they found a mass in his colon. And they found that they would have never found it had they have been looking for this tumor in his stomach. So they scheduled on Friday a, a, a time where they were going to go in and take uh, some of that mass out to send it off to be looked at uh, so as to know, uh, you know what, what, what that was. Well, on Friday uh, afternoon, Betty sent me a text. And the text that she sent me, and I, right after I got the text, I was at the hospital, and I was talking to them about her text, she sent the text, and here's what happened. They took Mike in, knocked him out, started running the tests inside of him to see what that mass was, to take a piece of that mass and send it off. And when they got there, there was no mass. Now on the pictures, the x-ray or the CT, they showed, there was the mass. The doctor got out, and the doctor went back in, and there was no mass. And then Betty told me that the doctor then had to ask everyone in the OR, does anyone see a mass? Because he's right back. The camera. There was nothing there. So they got out. Hey, there's not a mass there after all. But there was a mass on the, what they were looking at when they took the pictures on Monday. The nurse, the assistant to the doctor, was there doing her thing. And she, she came in at one point while, while I was there, and she was smiling ear to ear. And she said, well, congratulations. I don't know if that's even the right word to use. I, I can't even imagine. There's, there's no mass. And she made the comment, we, we, don't, we don't know how we can't explain this. We, we have no idea. And, of course, I'm sitting there, and you want to be the one to go, oh, I know. But you don't do that because you don't want her to feel dumb. So I was trying to find a way. Well, I think we know what happened. I mean, you just could not be quiet on something like that. Why do I bring that up? I bring that up because in the darkest times of your life, if you have that relationship with Christ, Jesus will be with you and never, ever, ever discount what Jesus can do for you because miracles still exist today. And so that is so important when you think about being in Christ. You know, the new man is one of regeneration. It's the making of a new creature. 
Are you a new creature in Christ today? Have you given your life to Jesus? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your sins have been forgiven? Because you can be. You can know all of this. You can leave here today and that can happen to you. When you become a new creature, you become what the Bible says, alive to God. Your whole being, your nature, and your life changes. See it up on the screen. Whereas a man was dead to God, as a new creature, he becomes alive to God. Whereas a man never fellowshiped, he never talked with God, as a new creature, he fellowships and he talks with God, and he does it all the time. Whereas a man was living in sin and immorality, as a new creature, he now lives in righteousness and in holiness. Whereas a man had to face death as a new creature, you will never die. Whereas a man was doomed to judgment and eternal separation from God as a new creature, he is destined to live eternally in God's presence. When a person truly believes in Christ, God places and God positions that person in Christ in all that Christ is. The person who believes in Jesus is identified with Christ. That is, he is counted and considered to be in Jesus. And then we see that experiencing a do-over with God not only involves a new mind and a new man, a new person, but you will also inherit a new ministry. And you read about that in the middle of verse 18 through 21. You'll see it up on the screen. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed unto us the word of reconciliation God could do one of two things with our sins he could count them or he could cancel them just one of two things and praise God God chooses to cancel he cancels and let me say this too just I wasn't going to but it just hit me for whatever reason if God can forgive and if god can forget and cancel out your sins then maybe you should too if you struggle with things in the past if you've gone to the cross and you've experienced the salvation that jesus will give you that god will give you in jesus and you've experienced that let your past go Because I can promise you, based on the authority of God's Word, that you can bring up something you've done in your past, and you've done it over and over and over. You are your worst judge. You could condemn yourself quicker than anyone or anything. The first time you've gone to God with a repentant heart and asked Him to forgive you for that, He not only forgave it then, but He forgot about it. So you don't need to live in that past. And do you recognize, too, that regarding this new ministry, did you know that all three members of the Godhead are involved in this process? In Hebrews 9.14, 
It says, it was through the eternal spirit that Christ offered himself without spot or blemish to God. We read right here in this passage that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And then Paul just finished reminding the Corinthian believers that he is in who? In Christ. Now he tells us that God is in Christ. And that is where we meet at last in this thing called reconciliation. You know, the Bible says that he has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now I want you to notice he did not commit this work to the angels, did he? You know why? He couldn't. You know why? Who can better tell others about reconciliation better than those who have been reconciled? Is that not true? The angels can't go out and do anything to tell them how Jesus changed their life because it's fixed. It's fixed now anyway, but with mankind. Who is a better witness to describe the inner change that takes place, you know, in you when you become a Christian than you? And it's for that reason the Bible says he's given unto us, us, the, the ministry. Y'all are in ministry. You may not say it in those terms, but you're all in ministry. Who is better at telling others the ministry of reconciliation than you when you've been reconciled to God. Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 6.20, For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. As God's ambassador, we are to appeal to men on the grounds of what He was made for us. And what I mean by that, what does the Scripture say in verse 21? For God made Jesus, for He has made Him to be sin for us. What He was made for us, the Bible says He was made sin. And then it says, on the grounds of what we are made, what we are made in Him. Well, what does the rest of that Scripture say? that we might be the righteousness of God in Him. He made Him who knew no sin to become sin. If we could be the righteousness of God. See, that's what happens. When you become a Christian, God takes away your, your old nature, your penalty, uh, your sentence, your conviction, and he throws it away and he replaces it with his son's life, his son's holiness, um, his son's righteousness. He was made sin for us. And when we appropriate that for ourselves personally, receiving him as Savior, all of that righteousness, the righteousness of God himself, the Bible says, becomes transferred to you and your bank account, your life. Your life. It's fixed. That's it. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed with someone 
And at some point, they'll say, that's it? Well, I always say, well, yeah, that's it. But now, now it gets kind of tough. You know, there's a certain way he wants you to represent him. And this, you know, you may have to shake a few things going on in your life because it's going to keep you down. But yeah, it's not about getting baptized that gets you to heaven. It's not about going to church that gets you to heaven. You can read the Bible all day long. You can pray to Jesus and still not make it. Jesus said, many would come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and did we not do that in your name? And I will say unto them, depart from me, ye cursed ones, into everlasting fire, for I do not know you. Sadly, that group, which I think will be a big group, those are church people. Those are people who are trying to appease God by going to church. But man, there is no change whatsoever inside. So they're living all that they're living on and doing all that they're doing based upon their good works. And good works don't do it. you got to go to the cross. And when you go to the cross and you accept Jesus for what He did, and you confess to Jesus what you believe about what He did, and you receive it for yourself, the Bible says He comes in and He changes you and you are set free. So my question to you this morning is simply this. Do you need a do-over? Do you need to be reconciled back to God? Do you know, and I mean, do you really, really, really know that your sins have been forgiven? Well, my, my advice to you this morning is, you can know. You can know. Some of the youth here who accepted Christ I've done it within the last couple of weeks. This last week, uh, from what Brandy told me, we had 16 kids give their lives to Christ. Now, this just thing called growing in our faith is what takes place now. Now that you're a Christian, how do I grow? And that's why you go to church, because the church is one of the uh, aspects of the church is there to help you to know, now that I know Jesus, what do I do now? It's what the purpose of... It's what, the purpose of the church should be. But that's what the purpose of Red of Baptist is. It is to help you grow and mature in your faith so that you can feel equipped and you can feel adequate to do all the things that God wants you to do. Why? Because you've been called to move forward in this ministry of reconciliation. Because people outside of these walls, most of them, they don't know any of this. And they are on their way right now to an endless eternity separated from God. But God was in Jesus, the Bible says, reconciling the world to himself. And he has committed unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you this morning. And Lord, we want to thank you that you use even us today. God, we cannot uh, uh, just... We cannot tell you how much we love you enough because of the work that you've done in our lives. Especially, God, being reminded of these nine individuals who are baptized. Every single one of them have committed their lives into following you too. And God, we pray that you'll bless them real good. But God, I know there's people sitting out here right now and they don't have assurance. They don't have the peace in their heart that if they were to die, that they would go to heaven. They don't know. God, you remind them, you tell them right now that they can know. 
They don't have to leave here with any doubts. Maybe all they need to do is sit down and talk to any one of the ministers that are here, or maybe a godly individual in this church that they feel comfortable with, that they can talk to, and they can pray, and they can have all of that settled once and for all today. God, we pray and ask that you would help us to be mindful that you have called us into the ministry. And that is to let others know about the difference that Jesus makes when we commit our lives to him. So, Father, it's my prayer this morning right now that you would move in the lives of all the people. And, God, if they are looking for a church home, that they might come down and let one of the ministers know, and we will receive them in that way. God, maybe some of them need a do-over because they have forgotten what it means to live for you. But, Lord, maybe there are those, and they just want to know that they're going when they die. Whatever it is, Lord, I know you can break through and you can speak to them and you can lead them to make the decision that they need to make. So I pray right now, God, that you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen.